1 Corinthians chapter 3 will be verses 1 through 4 today. Here's what God's Word says. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we just ask the Lord to be our teacher and to help us today um, as we open up his word. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for another year. Um, We know that really nothing has changed from one calendar to the next, God, but it feels anew. It feels different, yet we're reminded that you remain faithful. You are unchanging regardless of what the calendar says, regardless of what world events say, regardless of what our circumstances or our emotions say. Lord, you have remained the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that you are so reliable that we can count on you. Father, we we ask what we just sang of you, that you would help us, that you would turn our eyes to see Jesus this morning. Father, as we hear from your word, that you would be our teacher, that you would convict those here this morning that need your conviction, that you would encourage those here this morning that need your encouragement, Lord. But God, it is our deep prayer that we would walk out these doors today worshiping our Savior, Jesus. So would you lift him up for us today? We pray in his mighty name. Amen. Aaron, come on up. And well, I'm so excited that this is how we get to start the new year off. I think it is an ordained message for us this morning. So um, before we begin, I wanted to tell you of a story that I once read of an adoption about a little girl who was adopted from the slums. Her parents died when she was a very young age, and and she was left to fend for herself in the streets. Some days she'd go without eating. Some days she'd get lucky and find scraps in someone's trash. But when she found food, she learned she couldn't eat it all at once. It could be days until the next meal, and so she learned to portion what she found into her pockets. She'd eat a little and divide up the rest and put it in her pockets. Fast forward many years, finally one day she was adopted into a stable family. Her new family had a large home with lots of rooms and a walk-in pantry full of food. She had her own room, her own bed, new clothes with pockets, and a guaranteed three meals a day. But the heartbreaking reality for the mother in this story was that she noticed that her newly adopted daughter would fall asleep on the floor and never take more than a few bites of her food at mealtime. And in doing the laundry, she would find bits of food shoved into pockets. Her daughter had a new last name, a new identity, but her daughter was still living as though she was that little girl lost on her own in the slums. Lovingly, each night, her mother would pick her sleeping daughter up off the floor and lay her down in her bed, hoping that if she got used to waking up there, she would eventually put herself to sleep there. And lovingly, one day, she made her daughter wear an outfit 
with no pockets. Her daughter didn't notice at first, but when it came time for the meal, she watched her daughter closely. And as her daughter went to sneak some food into her pockets, she saw the moment of panic. And she came right up beside her and said, sweetie, you don't need to worry. I want you to eat as much as you want right now until you're full. And if you get hungry before our next meal, come look at this. She brought her daughter into the massive walk-in pantry. She said, this belongs to our family. You are an officially, in every way possible, a part of our family, which means this pantry is yours. You can have anything in this pantry. Now, some of these things you have to cook, and so eventually I'll teach you how to do that, but this shelf this shelf is called the snack shelf. You don't need to cook these. And I am giving you permission to come into this pantry whenever you want. And you can feast upon these snacks. You don't need to put them in your pockets. You can take them straight out of the containers. You can eat them. You can take the container back to your room. Because this pantry is yours. Because you're a part of our family. This mother, she got to watch with joy as slowly over time, her daughter's new identity became her only identity. Identity is the issue at hand in today's passage. Paul's telling the church, you are spiritual. This is your true identity. You have been chosen by God to be his. And with that, he's given you a new identity. No longer are you natural people who see the gospel as folly. You are spiritual. Therefore, live like it. This is the idea Paul wants to hammer home in our verses today. You are spiritual. Therefore, live like it. See, the Corinthian church was not living in their new identity. They were returning to their old ways, forsaking their new home and new beds for the floor of their old slums, clinging to the food in their pockets instead of enjoying the eternal pantry that had been given to them. Let me pause briefly. So we can remember the context of what's going on here behind the scenes in the Corinthian church. The culture of competitive individualism that was so rampant in Corinth has penetrated the culture of this church. They were flaunting their spiritual gifts and knowledge and seemingly just tacking it on to their worldly gifts and worldly knowledge in order to form tiers of superiority and a class of spiritual eliteness for personal gain and power. To the point that they use the term spiritual as kind of a grand eliteness, like a status that they could attain. And they weren't even sure if Paul was at that status because he talked like a simpleton. And he was offering them this super boring, bland milk and spiritual people need meat. So they were throwing these terms around, spiritual and milk. But Paul just redefined the term spiritual in contrast to being natural. He says there's two options. You're natural and do not accept the things of the Spirit of God or you've received the Spirit of God and are made spiritual. And you, church, are the ones who have been made spiritual. And Paul ends the last passage, the one right before ours today, by saying, but we, church, have the mind of Christ. Paul says you are spiritual. Therefore, live like it. And the first way he tells his church to live like it 
is by feasting on the gospel. He says, you are spiritual. Therefore, feast on the gospel. Look at verses 1 and 2. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready. Well, okay, again, Paul is not removing their status as the church, as the chosen, saved people of God. We know spiritual and milk, those were terms the Corinthians were throwing around. So Paul has already corrected the definition of spiritual, but I think here he's using these words as kind of like a big shock factor to kind of slap the Corinthians back into reality. He's saying, family, brothers and sisters, my family that's been created through Jesus, wake up. I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as what? As people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's saying, oh, you thought you were so spiritual and elite, but I couldn't even address you as spiritual, but in fact, like little babies. To the ears of the self-proclaimed elite, they would have been like, what? What did Paul just call me? Uh, even now I'm a little baby? Like, I think, I think we have similar language in our culture to what Paul's doing here. Like, when I'm playing basketball with my friend Nick, and, and he falls down and, and scrapes his knee and, and he starts crying on the basketball court. What do I say to encourage my friend? Stop being a baby, right? Now in that moment, as Nick is crying on the floor, did he physically transform into a little baby? No, but he sure is acting like one, right? I'm not saying Nick, as quickly as you can, progress back through the stages of crawling, walking, talking, running, emotionally coping, rational thinking, back into adulthood so we can continue shooting hoops. No, I'm saying, bro, you're an adult, right? So act like it. You're currently acting like a baby, which of course you are not, so stop being a baby. You're an adult, that's your true identity. What's funny is I'd definitely be the one to fall and complain about it. But anyways, obviously this is a silly example, right? You can see how it relates to what Paul is doing. He's calling back to their true identity. Don't go back to filling yourself with knowledge so you can feel better about yourself and tear each other down. Don't go back to ripping apart reputations behind people's back for your own personal or political gain. Don't exclude people just because they talk differently or have a different background or different schooling or way of thinking. Don't just do what your culture does. You're acting like spiritual infants, but you're not. You've been made into spiritual beings through the blood of Christ. But their actions are not reflecting that identity. They're living like they're back in the slums. Paul continues to play into this baby analogy. And he brings up milk and solid food. Remember, that's a sentiment that the Corinthians were throwing at Paul. They were so consumed with one-upping each other and proving their eliteness that this idea, it sank deep into their hearts. The gospel is just the starting point. It's just milk. I'm ready to move on from this good news. I'm beyond it. My salvation was given to me, but I got it the rest of the way. Does this sound familiar, church? Is this not a tune echoed in our own hearts? We're dying to prove our worth to anyone who will listen, really, but ultimately we treat Jesus the same way. Let me just contribute a little bit, Jesus. 
Let me just, okay, okay, I'll, I'll accept your gift of salvation. I'll accept you into my heart because I'm in the driver's seat. But once, the, once you get the salvation thing done, I'll drive alone for a bit. Let me show you what I can do. Like deep down in my own sinful heart, I want that to be what Paul is saying in this passage. I want him to be saying that I can become spiritually mature enough to chew on spiritual meat and not just suck on spiritual milk because then I can prove to God I'm worthy of meat and make him super proud of me. And you know, because now I'm a big boy, I can, I can eat meat and then I get to look at others and maybe who aren't ready to chew on meat yet and I can say, man, maybe one day you'll get on my level, right? Just keep trying. But that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. Paul's not saying there's something else to move on to. He's just called the gospel the power and wisdom of God. Time to move on to the power and wisdom of something else? No. Paul is showing that the Corinthians were so focused on and consumed by their sin that they couldn't recognize the gospel for what it was. It is meat. It's a feast. It's their true and perfect sustenance. They thought it was just milk. Well, it is in the analogy of what milk is for babies. It's their life source. It's everything they need. It, if they would just taste and see again that how it is so good. But it's as if they were looking at it like babies and they saw something green. And they said, ew, no, I, I want something else, right? But just taste it. I promise you're going to like it. He's saying, you are spiritual, therefore feast on the gospel. The gospel is not something we move on from. It's your source of life. It's where peace and joy and satisfaction are secured. It's what reminds you of your true identity. It's the good news that our status has changed. See, being spiritual, it's not a status you can attain on your own. The fact is, we're all born natural or unspiritual because of sin. It doesn't matter how many good things we do in life. Our status doesn't change. It's who we are as humanity, which is a major problem, right? Because the only spiritual being in the universe is the triune God. And we were actually designed to be in relationship with that God. It's what our soul longs for. The thing our soul craves is to be fully known, top to bottom, inside and out, and fully loved and accepted, ultimately, by our creator. But a perfect spiritual being cannot know and love an imperfect spiritual one. But we know that God has done the most impossible thing that anyone could ever think of. He decided to take some of these hopelessly unspiritual people and make them like him, spiritual. Being spiritual is a status, but it's an all or nothing status. It's an on or off status. And once it's on, it's always on because it's a status given by God. It is a status that is accomplished by Jesus on the cross. See, before Jesus accomplished our salvation, not only could we not change our status on our own, but we actually loved our sin so much that we didn't want the status to change. And scripture's clear that anyone who loves their sin more than God and remains in their sinful, natural, unspiritual status is deserving of death. 
an eternal separation from the love of God. And maybe that sounds harsh to you. Maybe you're like, man, I'm an okay person. Like, I treat people okay, and I, I try to be considerate of everybody. Our hearts, they hate the idea of punishment for our sins. Because we don't think our sin is actually that bad. We don't then think that God is actually that glorious. Like, the gap between the two can't be that big. And yet it is. More than we can fully understand. So this sin, it's left its mark. It must be dealt with. It represents the opposite of everything a spiritual God represents. It must be consumed in the wrath of a God who is also so full of love that he won't allow it to destroy his people any longer. And he won't forget the way it tormented his people. His wrath must be poured out on this sin and quenched. So his love can be proven and satisfied. So what does he do to quench his wrath? He sends his son, whom he loves on an infinite level, a different playing field that we can fully comprehend, to finally come and live a life that does qualify as spiritual. And then the most unjust thing in all of eternity happens. The perfect spiritual man, Jesus, instead of saying, see you dummies, that's how it's done, now copy me. He takes the wrath that belongs to these chosen people that still love their sin. And he dies the death that we deserved. And through his blood spilled out, he fully takes on and quenches the wrath of God for his people. And he fully accomplishes salvation for his people. And he rises from the dead as conqueror of sin and death, ascends to heaven to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And he gives his people new hearts and new eyes to see him for who he is. And now anyone that believes in him as savior and king, he exchanges their filth and sin, which he already paid for on the cross. And he gifts them a new status, his status, perfectly spiritual, a status maintained eternally by the spirit. This message stirs rejoicing in the people of God amidst trials, amidst mountaintops. It doesn't matter. We who were once far off from God get to know and be known and fully loved and accepted by our creator, our true and perfect father who loves to lavish his people with love and joy and peace. This message is our hope. It's our joy. It's the thing that the angels long to look into and understand. It's the song we'll sing of and gaze upon forever. It's the wisdom and power of God. Don't miss it for what it is. Don't look for something beyond it. You'll never need something different. And the more you feast on it, the more you'll realize you don't want anything different. It's better than anything this world has to offer. Don't be deceived. There's a lot of things that may appear to taste better. There's a lot of OC Fair bacon-wrapped sausages out there. You know, you know when you walk in to the fair and you see these ginormous signs of a photo-perfect 
bacon wrap sausage. It's like whoever wrapped the bacon took like 10 minutes to just perfectly line the bacon. And the picture, it's this perfectly dark brown crisp to it. And the, the, the sausage is centered amazingly on the bun. And you smell the amazing aroma of bacon sizzling on a grill. And you're like, okay, I can't take another step until I pay $42 for this bacon wrap sausage. And you finally get your hands on it. And it smells just as good as you were hoping. And you go to take that bite and nothing. I taste nothing. Well, I taste charred nothing. Is this sausage been sitting on the grill for seven hours? There's no flavor. Like, I bite it and it just disintegrates in my mouth. There are plenty of things that appear to our hearts as a feast. Things that draw us in with pleasant aromas and appearance of satisfaction. Things our culture screams at us. Success. Comfort, companionship, marriage, family, power and superiority, ultimate open-mindedness, sex, prioritizing yourself over anyone else, freedom of choice, protecting my rights, maintaining control. Not necessarily all bad things, but we're prone to feast on them, only to be left feeling empty. The Corinthians stopped feasting on the gospel and wanted something different. Something that their culture said, it, it's delicious, but in reality, it wasn't. And even now, Paul says, you're not yet ready to feast, for you're still of the flesh. Paul's next point is, you are spiritual. Therefore, think differently about everything. Look at the end of verse 2 with me. Even now you are not ready. And then verse 3, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? You're behaving only in a human way. Your old identity. You're refusing to give up the scraps in your pockets. You are spiritual. You can think in a new way. Think differently about everything. The Corinthians are clearly still thinking in a human way, in a fleshly way. Let's focus for a second on these words of the flesh. I'm not a Greek expert, but people who are noticed that there's a slight variation in the times Paul uses of the flesh in this passage. First of all, he's using an entirely different word than he used at the end of chapter 2. Uh, when he was saying natural people. So again, this is a different word. Paul is confirming the Corinthians have not lost their status and gone back to natural. Like not unspiritual people anymore. It's a new word. But when he says the word in verse 1, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, he's using a term, sarkanoi, or something, sarkanoi, that we translate to of the flesh. One theologian, says, uh, one theologian says it's meant to emphasize especially their humanness and physical side of their existence as over against the spiritual. So the second and third time, though, Paul says of the flesh, he says you are sarkic koi. So the first one was sarkanoi. The next one is sarkic koi, which it may be better translated as fleshly. You're not just living of the flesh. You're fleshly. It's so integrated into who you are right now. For you are still fleshly. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and behaving only in a human way? Paul saying again, wake up. You are spiritual. Therefore, think differently about everything. 
You've been given the mind of Christ. And as you feast upon the gospel, the spirit is feeding you the wisdom of God. You see, the spirit and the word of God, they're always working together. And what is the word proclaiming? The good news of Jesus, the living word, the gospel, right? The spirit reveals it to us and continues drawing us back to it. And as we gaze upon its goodness, as we feast upon its truths, something happens in our heart of hearts. We are changed. It literally changes the way we see things, the way we think about things. Our tender father, he brings us back to the gospel over and over to show us you can sleep here now. It's where you wake up because of your status. Rest in its goodness. You can come to this pantry. Let go of the sin in your pockets. I've given you something better. He cares about the process of helping us live in our new identity. It's called sanctification. Being made holy. Being made like him. He made a way for people like us that were stuck loving our disgusting, filled, and failed status to be made into people like him. And he cares about that process. And this is, I think, where people can confuse the idea of like elite spiritual status and just the process of being sanctified. The gospel does actually affect our lives now. Yes, what Jesus accomplished on our behalf gives us a new identity and a new status before God, one that's never taken away. And if anyone who dies, who's been given that status, they'll immediately be welcomed into an eternal presence with Jesus because of his righteousness clothing them. But now, on earth, within the confines of time, though our status has eternally changed, our bodies are not immediately perfected. Our new hearts that Jesus has given us with the ability to love him. Remember, our old hearts, they had zero ability to love him, right? But our new ones, they love him. And they see the gospel revealed by the spirit. And we get to feast on the gospel. But we're still in a broken world with broken bodies and broken desires. And we're learning to fully integrate into our new identities. There's a part of our nature that though the chains of sin have been broken and we are free to live in Christ, we still have the capacity to live in our sin. And I don't fully know why. <laughs> I'm not God and I don't have my own universe. But I know that I hate that I still sin. I hate that I walk in my old identity. And Paul did too. He talks about it in Romans 7. Look at Romans 7 with me, starting in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So, so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law that, of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul's like, listen, me too. 
There's a war waging within us, and it sucks to lose battle after battle, but what do we know to be true? The ending. We know who wins the war. In fact, the war has already been won. The kingdom is here now. Joy is here now. Victory is here now. But one day, and how we long for that day, there will be the fullness of joy, the fullness of glory, the fullness of victory. And is God just waiting around in the background, allowing his creation to play out on its own until the day of final victory comes? No! He's joyfully active in our lives now. It's with joy that he helps us fully live in our new identity. It's with patience that he places us back in our beds. It's in love that he sometimes removes our pockets. You know the ones where we love to hide away sin into? He removes them and leads us back to something better. He's working right now, transforming hearts and minds through his spirit so that when the war is over, it'll be that much better. So we wage the war now, but not by ourselves. We're not the lone heroes that take a stand in our own strength. We're not going to be protected only if we're spiritually elite. We've been given the power of God. We must feast on it. And we will think differently about everything through his spirit. When I see how good and generous my King Jesus was, I start to realize how tightly I'm clinging to my finances. And I try to loosen my grip and control on it, but I can't. I don't really want to. But by his grace and community of people who point me to the gospel, I feast more upon the gospel. And I realize that Jesus gave up everything for me. And I see that in him, I have everything I truly need. And all of a sudden, I realize, I, I don't want this. My hands reach for Jesus. And without me even realizing it, and now I want to cling to him, my Savior forever. And now I can give. But this is what's crazy. It gets people confused, right? I'm taking the action of giving. I'm actually doing that. It changes how I think and what I do. But why? Because now I'm walking away from Jesus and I fully understand the concept of being generous. So therefore, I give in my own strength? No! I give because I'm feasting on the gospel and gazing upon Jesus and realizing I have something better. And as I do that, he is empowering me through the Spirit to do something I didn't want to do in my sin nature. But I'm able to do it now because of my new and true identity given by him. And now, walking with him, I know that it's Jesus who's giving once again through me. And here's what's crazy. I get to experience joy as he works through me. It's making my life better now. I have this inexplicable joy as I do what I can only do in Christ. I walk in my new identity and think differently about everything. It changes me and I enjoy it. I have joy through it. How amazing is our God that he designed sanctification to be something where I get more joy as I walk in my new identity with him. See, culture, culture wants to tell you that you are what you do. Oh, you gave money away. You're generous. But scripture tells us you do what you are. Your identity as a new creation is spiritual. Like Jesus. Jesus is generous. So you're generous. It's your identity. And your actions follow your identity. The solution then 
is not to muster up the ability and willpower to be generous. The solution is to feast upon the gospel, which will remind you of your true identity and empower you to think differently about your finances. And generosity will flow through the spirit out of you. The gospel changes every aspect of our lives. We will never run out of things in our heart that the gospel needs to address. If Jesus is truly your king, then he is king over every area of your life. And so we need to ask ourselves, church, where am I not allowing the gospel to intervene? What areas of my life am I refusing to think differently about? Do I get to continue being fleshly at work and curse all I want because I have, that's, that's a different crowd than, than my church? Ask the Spirit, do I, do I have sin hidden deep in my pockets that I am unwilling to release to Jesus and allow his Spirit to change the way I see that sin and the way I act? This is what Paul is saying. You can press into the depths of the gospel and you will for all eternity. It's more of a feast than you can ever imagine. It's an ocean that never runs out. You just keep walking deeper and deeper into it until every corner of your being is transformed. And the ability to come to these waters was bought for you. There's no such thing as spiritual levels. You don't go from spiritual one to spiritual two. We never move up from the gospel. You go deeper into it for all eternity. And every step of the way, it changes how you think about everything. And by the way, as you get into the depths of the gospel, it never makes you want to mock the people at the shore the people just entering the waters for the first time, it never stirs a spirit of superiority. It only creates a spirit of joy. You guys, you will not believe what I'm seeing over here. I cannot wait for you to come and see this. Come, 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 jump into joy. Oh, what's that you're seeing? Oh, that's so good too. I am overjoyed. You're in these waters. Swim with joy. My brothers and sisters, never stop swimming. You are spiritual, therefore feast on the gospel. You are spiritual, therefore think differently about everything. And our last point in this passage, you are spiritual, therefore live in unity with one another. Paul addresses specifically the jealousy and strife in the church. For a while, there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The triune God is always and forever living in perfect unity. The Father is perfectly unified with the Son and the Spirit. The Son is perfectly unified with the Spirit and the Father. The Spirit is perfectly unified with the Father and Son forever, always. And if God is the standard and embodiment of unity, how, how can his people of the same spirit be disunited? How can there be jealousy and strife among the church? Well, it doesn't happen 
when you feast on the gospel and think differently about everything this, that this world tells us, in the moments of feasting and thinking differently, we can't even see the idea of disunity, right? But when we take our eyes off the gospel, when we start to look for things to feast on that are not the gospel, well, we've experienced what that's like in today's church. Politics. Vaccines. Trump. I can say words with zero context or explanation and you can feel the palpable discomfort in the room, right? Words that have so much division associated with them that have come so normal inside of the church. We've allowed preferences and a philosophy of how a nation should run and be run create literal, actual hatred amongst a family that is not only called to not be a part of this physical world, but a family that will eternally worship together. Not because of the political party you chose, but because of the true king that died for your salvation to bring you to his eternal kingdom. Can you guys picture in heaven, joyfully worshiping, experiencing the fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus and leaning over to someone and saying, hey, how did you vote in 2020? Oh, oh you can't stand here. You gotta stand over there. No, right? I'm not saying voting doesn't matter. I'm not saying don't have opinions. I'm saying Paul brings up the idea of unity in the church a lot. It matters. It reflects who our God actually is. So another question we need to ask ourselves, am I quicker to look for what separates me from others in this church? or for what unifies me to others in this church? Are we prone to finding division as the highest priority rather than finding signs of unity and seeing things that we can build relationships on? Something I love about our church is that throughout COVID and, and even now, the seats have been mixed with people wearing masks and not wearing masks. This is not a place Welcome for only one line of thinking. This is a place where we want to worship together. Fix our eyes on Jesus together. Don't care your preferences on masks. Get in this building and worship with me. I need to hear your voice. I need to be around your physical presence. It encourages me. It stirs love and joy in my heart. I want to pray for you and I need your prayers for me. Let us never lose that spirit of welcoming. May this always be a place where the far off can be brought near to their king and savior, where our true identity is the only identity that matters. Not political party, not economic status, not race or ethnicity or marital status or preference on having children or not, or styles of parenting or styles of schooling or types of sins we commit. You, church, are spiritual. Therefore, live in unity with one another build each other up in Christ, rejoice in the findings of the infinite ocean of the gospel of Jesus, spur each other on to keep swimming, keep feasting, don't pull someone out and try to feed them some other type of food that appears to be good. May our church and the global church be grounded in the gospel. May the world be rocked by the unity within our church and the larger church over the next hundred years. May it draw people in so they might taste and see that the Lord is good. 
If the gospel can unify a sinner to a holy God, how much more can it unify a redeemed sinner to a redeemed sinner? Remember the patience and the love and the joy of our Father as he tenderly shows us and reminds us and leads us back to our new and better identity. Maybe today you need to be encouraged by the reminder that your true identity is spiritual. You are spiritual. You're not the things the accuser, Satan, is accusing you of. Your status has not changed. Jesus gave you that status. No one can take it away. Maybe you need to be challenged by this reminder. You are spiritual. You're living in your old identity. You're being a baby. You're being fleshly. You don't need to do that. It's not who you are. You are spiritual. Live in that identity. The message today is, is not to go home and force yourself to be spiritual. The message is not do what the Corinthians were doing and rely on your own strength and wisdom to attain a status acceptable to God. No, remember what God commands, he creates. Be spiritual, he says. So he has made you spiritual by sending his son to pay the price of failing to be spiritual. And then when Jesus conquered death and sin by rising again, he clothed us in his spiritual perfection and gifted us with his spirit, his active and living spirit to clothe us and guide us and pray on our behalf and empower us and transform us. So my brothers and sisters, this command to act like one who is spiritual it's not a burden. This is the greatest joy we can experience. Be of the spirit of the most holy and perfect and joyful God. Walk in your new identity with him, forsaking the overburned hot dogs this world has to offer and tasting the bread of life that we now get to feast upon for all eternity starting this second. We're not just waiting to partake one day. Though one day we'll know the totality and fullness of joy and glory and union with Christ. But right now, we get to be spiritual. The pantry is ours. There's more deliciousness than we could ever imagine. We get to know the joy of the Lord. We get to know the joy of dying to pride and living in unity with the body of Christ as he shapes us and makes us more like him. A perfectly satisfied, holy, joyful, and perfectly unified God. Maybe this morning, you need to respond to the call to be spiritual for the first time. Maybe you're seeing that you need a new status because you just keep failing at changing it on your own. Would you respond to the call this morning? Would you confess your need for a savior and believe in Jesus as your savior and king and begin to feast on the joy of the gospel for all eternity? Wherever you're at this morning, I'm gonna ask you to respond in prayer. Ask the Spirit for guidance in how he wants you to respond. Ask for help in revealing things you need to think differently about. Ask for help to live in your true identity. I'm going to give us a few moments to do that right now.